Right, and we are very grateful to all those that did a lot of extra work uh, while we were gone last week. It was a, a very special time, and in fact, uh, while we were driving up on Tuesday, we looked at the map there and uh, just called uh, uh, Brother Filion and, and Quota Cook and uh, Quota Cook. There we go. I never could say it right. And uh, he did invite us up for Sunday morning services. And as we we're pulling into the parking lot, there was a little sign that said Sherbrooke, 23 kilometers. And uh, that's where Brother Stevens is. And so after the morning service, gave Brother Stephen, he said, come on up. And then he called back immediately and said, uh, I know this is vacation, but would you mind preaching? And uh, so we ended up, I think, being able to be a blessing to two churches. And, and uh, of course, that's how we got started out, was doing music and preaching in churches together. And so that was a, a very special treat for us, as well as... Just uh, being away from the regular uh, uh, grind and all of the normal things. So uh, tonight we're going to start a brand new Bible study. And uh, it, it has been a while since we have just worked our way through a longer passage of the Bible. And uh, uh, though there's a part of me that just is desiring to go through the book of Hebrews again uh, we're going to try to start on a little smaller book, and that would be the general epistle of James, five chapters here. And uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to work our way through here and uh, kind of uh, not just reprinted old notes, but went through here. And we're, we're going to make an emphasis as we go through the general epistle of James, this little letter here. The, the work of the Christian life, or how your Christian life ought to work. The last time we did this was 2014, uh, according to my notes, and we talked about practical Christian living. But uh, the thing is, I want us just to look at the book of James and to study how our Christianity, how our relationship with God is supposed to work. And so let's just start reading. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, that's the passage that I hope for us to uh, cover tonight. And uh, I've entitled this section, The Bible Attitude or the Biblical Attitude Toward Difficult Circumstances. Uh, 
Uh, if you have not found yourself in difficult circumstances, cheer up. They're coming. Amen? Uh, I mean, there, this is part of life. And one of the things that I would like for us to, to be reminded of is the unsaved world have difficulties that they overcome. Do they not? Uh, I mean, uh, Warren Buffett did not get to be one of the richest men in the world by uh, everybody just coming by and giving him money. He, he had to work very diligently at that. In fact, he worked so hard, he, he and his compadre Bill Gates, that now they feel guilty about all the money that they have and they're giving it away. See, God, if you'll follow his Bible, you'll never have that problem because he wants you to give away what you have now. Amen? Uh, instead of hoarding it all up and trying to figure out what to do with it, if you'll just follow the Bible, you'll, you'll really never have that problem. But the book of James here, uh, some would want to take this first verse as James addresses the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad and say, you see, James is writing to a Jewish audience. Therefore, uh, as Gentiles, the book of James does not apply to us, does not have an application. But uh, I want to challenge you. If you're going to serve God, you're going to find yourself in difficult circumstance. Diverse temptations. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile. If you're saved you're going to find yourself in difficult circumstances if you're trying to accomplish anything. Uh, I remember many years ago, over 30 years ago, I was able to visit the Thomas Edison Labs in Fort uh, Myers, Florida. And it was uh, uh, just from a, a guy who likes to tinker and fix things, it was an exciting place to walk through uh, his actual laboratories where he had uh, uh, worked on things, and, and I've used this example, but one of the uh, uh, things that he was trying for, this was uh, during World War II, the rubber trees were in Indonesia. Who had conquered uh, Indonesia? The Japanese army had. Uh, by the way, do Jeeps roll without rubber tires? Well, in those days, they were looking for a type of synthetic rubber. And, and Mr. Edison had put it in his mind to apply all of his genius. In fact, he's got the, I saw the record book. They had it there on the, on the desk. And it was over 3,000 attempts at coming up with a synthetic compound that would act like rubber uh, that, that could be made in a lab instead of have, having to be gathered the sap of the rubber tree and boiled down and treated and all of these things. And someone said, Mr. Edison, did you ever get discouraged with 3,000 attempts? He said, no. He said, I found 3,000 ways it couldn't be done. And... Uh, I, I just admire that. Now, Mr. Edison was no believer in the Bible. He was no lover of the God of the Bible. And yet I've met many people who name the name of Christ. When things get tough, they want to quit. 
we, we need to understand something. We, we look at the book here. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this was James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, being that he was the natural child of, of Mary and Joseph. He was a younger brother of Jesus. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so he is writing, and we believe that this is one of the earliest of the epistles of the letters that were written by those who were physically eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus. Now, James would not have been one of the twelve apostles. That James was killed in Acts chapter 12. Uh, because he was one of the younger brothers. And what did the Bible give a testimony of? It said, neither did his brethren believe in him. Uh, At this point, they did not believe in when Jesus was walking the face of the earth. But as uh, all of those things came to be, he, James said, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting here that uh, James puts the Lord Jesus Christ on equal footing as God the Father. Now, again, you have to understand the Jewish nature. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. To put Jesus on the same level as God meant that James understood a doctrine that we all somewhat take for granted today called the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. James understood this. He, he is saying that I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm writing to the uh, Jewish believers that are scattered all over the world. Now, In the early chapters of the book of Acts, the church was primarily a Jewish organization. You read Romans chapter 1, and I've met some people over the years, and and they always want to go to Romans chapter 1. To the Jew first, if you're going to take the gospel, you've got to find a Jewish person before you can witness to a Gentile person. And I'm going, have you ever read Romans chapter 2? You say, well, what's there? It's anguish and judgment to the Jew first and to the Gentile. You see, the gospel was presented to the Jews first because they had what we call the Old Testament. They had the only written scriptures. Jesus was a Jewish man. He was come to fulfill all of the Jewish prophecies. He was the answer to their prayers. And yet, what did they do? Crucify him. You see, and we've dealt with this before. That's why Paul could go into a town. And in three days, two weeks, he could leave a church. Because there were people in that town who had studied the Bible every day of their life and believed in the God of the Bible. And all they needed to understand was that Jesus was their Messiah. They got saved. They 
They knew the Bible. They were following God. That's why James said, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of the God of the Old Testament. I'm a servant of the God of the New Testament because it's one God. Now, we, we understand there is a connection. You read Galatians chapter 4. Why don't we take just a minute and turn there. And as this is a passage that Paul's writing about this same thing. Um, Galatians chapter 4. Let's start with verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, what Paul is doing is he's the only time in the Bible the word allegory is used here. He is taking the fact that Abraham actually had two wives. His his uh, first wife, of course, was Sarah. She could not have children. And Sarah said, "You will, um, I will give you my servant to be your wife. And Hagar produced Ishmael. Now, that wasn't God's plan. In fact, we are still reaping the rewards of Sarah's faithlessness because... Ishmael is the father of the Arab people. And they're still persecuting one another. And they still hate each other. Yet when we get to the book of Hebrews, what does it tell us about Sarah? She's listed in the hall of faith. Because at 89 years old, she received strength from the Lord to bear a child. And his name was Isaac. And what Paul is dealing with in the book of Galatians was the Jewish believers were trying to go back to the Old Testament law and more importantly in their minds, all of the traditions. And they were saying, listen, if you don't become Jews, you cannot be saved. Now, that's not true. And possibly, I have it in your notes here, James had written... uh, this uh, letter before the big uh, conflict of Acts chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 2 where the preachers from Jerusalem went and, and, and there was a real division made between that which was Jewish and that which was Gentile, uh, that which was Christian and that which is Jewish, I should say. But Paul, I mean, James is writing here to... The Jewish believers, but we need to understand that Abraham is the father of all who believe in God by faith. Amen. And so, 
as we look here, we need to understand the application is for us. Uh, Read Romans 11 later. It tells us that we were grafted into the tree, the same tree that the branches of, of Israel were cut off because of unbelief. And there are some things that James is going to spend more time on because they would have been more of a Jewish problem than a Gentile problem. You wonder why he spent so much time on respective persons? That was a Jewish problem. They thought they were somebody because they were physical descendants of Abraham. And God helped Peter understand that in Acts chapter 10, but... James is writing here to the Jewish believers that are in the world, and there's an application, there's things in here for us to understand. And uh, there were still Jewish communities scattered all over the Far East, dating back to the Assyrian captivity in uh, uh, around... uh, uh, 800, 900 there, and then, uh, not 900, I'm sorry, 700 or so, and then 100 years later, the Babylonian captivity, there were still Jewish communities all over the known world. Now, it's interesting, as James addresses these believers in Jesus Christ, here's what the first thing he says. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, when difficult things happen, your first response is not, Oh, goody, goody, yay! That's that's not what he's talking about here. We're going to see from the solution to the problem. He says, you're to count it all joy. You're to understand a few things. God is still in charge. The idea here of falling into diverse and temptations is the fact that you are not seeking them. Uh, during the Middle Ages, there were monastic groups who went out and, and uh, they would purposely put themselves in in situations, in fact, even to this day, if you read the tax code, uh, there will be little letters in there. If you have a vow of poverty upon you, you don't owe taxes. Uh, well, where does that come from? It comes from these medieval monastic orders. And uh, it's amazing that these people had a vow of poverty on them. They own nothing But the richest and most valuable collections from the Middle Ages came from the monasteries where everybody in it had a vow of poverty. While the masses outside literally starved to death, in the monastery there was always food. wonder how that worked. That doesn't sound like a real vow of poverty to me. How about you? Uh... You know, it's kind of like the fellow that started the whole thing. This was about 300 A.D. Uh, He said, I'm leaving society. And he went out of the city and he sat on a rock. 
This was in northern Egypt, and somebody walked by and said, What are you doing? He said, I am leaving the world and seeking God. Make a long story short, before, the sto- before it was all ended, before he had uh, sat there for 20-some years, which he did, the rock pile was, went from one rock a few feet off the earth to a pile of rocks 40 feet off the earth. And there were 3,000 other people camped out around uh, the bottom of this pile of rocks. And everybody was trying to get away from the world. Kind of reminds me of camping. How about you? I mean, we were up there in Vermont and, and it was nice and quiet. And I saw this... Uh, uh, there was a state park right uh, a few miles away, but you had to take somewhat of a circuitous account, uh, trip to get there. The park itself was two miles from where we were staying, but it was a 12-mile trip by the time we got to the park entrance. And it, there must have been 50 boat trailers on this little lake five miles long. There were over 100 campsites. And there must have been at least that many houses built right next to each other the whole way around this lake in the middle of nothing. I mean, the closest Walmart was an hour and a half away. And yet, this little lake, it's crazy. This is what people do because they do not understand the Word of God. The Bible's not telling us here to escape the world. The Bible's not telling us to go seek difficulties. You will have enough just trying to serve the Lord. But when difficult times come, we're supposed to understand that God is doing a work in my life. That God is trying my faith. You see, if you don't test something, how do you know that it works? Now, in construction, we have what we call a fall arrest harness. And all of those things are built in the prototype and all of the specs are done in laboratories. Because once you test the fall arrest harness, you can't use it anymore. If it's ever deployed, uh, you're going to have a New York City DOB inspection. Uh, They want to know why so-and-so fell off the scaffolding and how many injuries he had or uh, the person had, the case may be. But on each one of those things is a little tag. It says, this was manufactured to certain specs and this will... Uh, And if you cut those tags off, this is not like your couch when you buy it and it says not to be removed. These tags, if you cut them off, you go to jail because you can't prove that the fall arrest equipment is within standards without the tag. They expire. They have a shelf life. And if it gets a certain number of years old, you just have to throw it away and go get a new one. Why? Because... If you fall, you want it to work. You want it to slow you down. Uh, If everything works perfectly, a 200-pound man 
will hit the end of his harness with a force of somewhere around two and a half or three tons. Uh, it's like being in a, uh, 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 a car with no airbags and hitting a bridge abutment about 20 miles an hour. It's the same amount of force, basically. It, it's going to shake you up. It's going to probably dislocate a few things. But without the fall of rest harness, uh, the options are not pleasant. Uh, it's called death, dismemberment, uh, etc., so this is something that you want you want to know, and these things are all tested in the lab. Because if you ever need it to work, it's like my sons were telling me, Dad, I, I don't like this climbing, uh, the climber and the rope, and the, I can climb uh, with better without it. Yes, but what happens if you're 30 feet in the air and you slip? There's absolutely nothing going to slow you down. You, you've got to put up with the problem. Do we see what's going on here? If you don't test it, if it's not tried, it doesn't work. It's not reliable. And God is going to test our faith. He is going to put us through difficult times in the laboratory of life. And, and we have to know that the trying of our faith worketh patience. If you've ever worked on a, uh, a big truck or an airplane or even a, a car in many instances, uh, there are little hash marks on the bolts. And they tell you how hard the bolts are. And uh, if you don't follow those directions, every once in a while you'll see uh, a truck pulling a very heavy load and all of a sudden it breaks loose. You know what happened? Somebody took a made-in-China bolt and put it in there with the rest of the bolts that were tempered in the USA. And the made-in-China bolt failed because it was cheaper, because it wasn't up to the standards. And then things began to move, and catastrophic damage can happen. When metal is tempered, it is brought up, it is, it is made hard so that it will work. But if it's brittle... It'll just shear. And so you, you have to understand that God is going to give you the kind of testing that you need. And that testing is going to make you perfect. It says, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That there's not going to be any missing parts. Now, verse 5 is often taken way out of context. The next several verses here, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, and many times people treat this as just James is moving to the next thought. Trying of your faith, work of patience, let patience have her perfect work. But if you lack wisdom, no, it is connected, my friend. What would be evidence of your lack of wisdom? 
not counting it joy when you fall into diverse temptation. You see, that's not wise. That is not the wise response. If your faith is working, you will know and understand that God has a purpose for allowing difficulties in your life. If you're one of those people that's standing there saying, why are you letting this happen to me, God? I mean, I go to church and I even put money in the offering plate. I've, I, I've had people tell me that and say, whoa, wait a minute. Let, let's go here to the Bible. You need to understand that's not a wise response. Uh, if you want wisdom, if you want to see things God's way, wouldn't that be a good working definition of wisdom, by the way? is being able to understand that God is still in charge. Is being able to see the circumstances of life the way that God sees them. That, that's, a, that's a good working definition of wisdom. And, and if you're not seeing things the way God is seeing them, you, you need to ask Him for wisdom. God will never upbraid you. He will never be sarcastic. He will never condemn you for seeking wisdom from Him. But you got to understand something. The only wisdom God is going to give you is going to bring you into agreement with God. God is not going to give you wisdom that agrees with you. Because that's not wisdom. How many, I've been there, how many of you ever thought you had something figured out, some problem you're working on, I, I got it, I'm going to make this thing work. And then it goes, you know why? Lack of wisdom, right? Uh, not understanding the proper way to apply yourself to the situation. You see, there's only one source of true wisdom. This shouldn't be too hard for us. It is God. You know, we live in a world where everybody thinks they're the smartest person in the room. You ever, I mean, I've met a few of those people over the years that uh, this was even before being the smartest person in the room was in vogue. I remember a preacher was trying to explain to me why my education and Bible understanding was so insufficient and so, so elementary compared to his and and I'm sitting there just thinking in my own mind as a very young man in the ministry, if that's what smart is, I don't want it. Because he was too smart to believe that God could preserve his word in one version of the Bible. He believed he's the only guy who was smart enough to find it in all of the manuscripts there. I, I, I can't get that arrogance. He, he was... So smart that he couldn't believe that Jesus started only one kind of church. He started all the churches. And they all have truth. And I'm sitting there going, now, wait a minute. When a church turns its back on the Word of God, how can it be Jesus' church? 
When a group of churches take the authority that Jesus has given them to report directly to Him for what they do and turn it over to some denominational headquarters, how can that be Jesus' church? And I'm not trying to be critical here, but if you can't figure out what the Bible says about baptism... Maybe there's a lot of other things you can't figure out too. Because it's not a problem of figuring, it's a problem of surrendering to what's written in the book called the Bible. Can we say amen to that? You see, if you lack wisdom, if if you find yourself in a set of circumstances that you you cannot be thankful for, that are not working together for good, then... You know something, the problem is not God, the problem is you. And and that problem is, I lack wisdom. And if I'll ask God, here's what it says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, verse 6 is one of those elastic verses that people just love to stretch, verses 6 and 7. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. I love to take that phrase and say, listen, when you ask God in faith, you've got to believe that he'll give it to you. The reason you didn't get that brand new car was you didn't believe enough. Now, the next time you tell God you want that car and you believe, he'll give it to you. I mean, I've heard preachers do this. And you're just sitting there going, that's not what this verse is talking about. You read the writings of the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. He said, we despaired even of life. There was a time that We had no idea what was going on. He says we were pressed out of measure. He said even if we were going to live, it was like, how are we going to live under all of these things? And wisdom says, well, wait a minute. God's still in charge. He is trying. He is testing. He is putting us through the tempering process so that when we stand before Him, we can be ready to meet God. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His, that are the called according to His purpose. What's the next verse say? We're predestined to the image of Christ to be conformed. How is God going to do that? He's going to have to push you. He's going to have to squeeze you. He's going to have to warp you into the mold of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is through difficulties. You see, that's where verse 8 comes in. A double-minded man is unstable. In all his ways. Now, I'm not trying to make light of 
certain things, but they tell us that a, a person that has a certain mental disorder that thinks they're more than one person, the, the general term is schizophrenia, uh, multi-personality, or uh, no. It, the Bible calls it being a double mind. I, I, every time I read that verse, uh, it just comes back in my memory, uh, a picture of one of my friends in school. He had a double-headed rattlesnake in a jar of formaldehyde. How many of you have ever seen one of those things? If you, most museums have one. It's a fairly common uh, deformity among the rattlesnakes as they are gestating. Two of the eggs will actually merge together and, and they'll have one body and, and there'll be two heads. But they can only live until they shed their skin the first time. See, in order for a snake to grow, it's got to shed its skin so that the tissues underneath can expand and and grow into the new skin. Well, a double-headed snake cannot shed its skin because it cannot cooperate between the two heads. And so uh, they, they will die before they reach maturity. Kind of like a double-minded person. Wanting to go two directions at the same time. And listen, you don't have to be seeing a psychiatrist to be double-minded. It goes a little bit like this. Well, you know something, Pastor, there are just certain times where I want to serve the Lord and I just have great faith and I believe Him and I'm trusting Him. But but then something happens and I kind of just like lose all my faith and I can't believe. And Has anybody ever had that happen? It's called a double mind. You cannot be stable in your relationship with Christ doubting that God is right. Can't do it. You cannot halfway trust in God. You see, the problem is a faith problem. The reason I lack wisdom is because I don't have enough faith. How do I get faith? Faith cometh by what? Hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Every verse in this book called the Bible is designed to make me do one thing. Trust God. Deny myself. You go through the Old Testament, the the tabernacle, that brazen altar. That's not a picture of the sacrifice of Christ because Jesus was sacrificed without the camp. Jesus is the day of atonement, the forgiveness of sins. The daily sacrifice every morning and every night is to illustrate how difficult it is to get rid of self. And you know what? It is so easy to trust myself. How about you? Everything we do, we have to perceive. We have to look at and we have to take in information. 
it's so hard to process that information. What's going on in the world around us? What's happening to us? And being able to truly trust God with it. Doesn't that sound like wisdom? If I got a problem trusting God with what's going on around me, I've got a wisdom problem. I mean, honestly, hey, let's just look at it. What doesn't God do better than you do? Hello? I mean, God knows everything. He, he does not have to think. He already knows the answer, by the way. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith demands a belief in the existence of God and that God is good. If you wonder why I am so uh, peeved and so upset at the environmentalist crowd, it's because they believe that this world... that our God created is so fragile that if we didn't have these wacko crusaders running around, the whole planet would be blown up. You know the reason we have such terrible forest fires in uh, California right now? It's because those environmentalist people have refused to allow men to pull the dead wood out of the forest. Oh, don't go and chop any trees. You, you'll kill the old growth. Well, didn't you ever understand that the old growth dies? And if you leave it laying in the woods, it's fuel for the forest fires. If you take it out and do something constructive with it, like make paper and... Uh, I love it. Would you like me to email your receipt? No, nah, kill that tree. You know, it's... Print it out. I made a guy in the Apple store cry several years ago. Uh, I actually felt pretty good about that. But, uh, sorry, that's human nature. I, I just, I can't believe that someone would look at this world, at this universe that God created and believe it's so fragile that they have to protect it. God did a pretty good job. I can trust Him with the running of the universe. What's really hard is to trust Him with the running of my life. Now, isn't it? See, God's going to put you through the stretcher. He's going to pull you. He's going to put you through the fire. He's going to heat you up. He's going to put you on the anvil and hit you with the hammer. If you've ever seen a blacksmith do his work, uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing process how he'll take the metal and, and, and bend it and, and shape it and form it and, and it depends on what he's making. If he's making a, a horse's ho- a shoe, a horseshoe, he'll, he'll want to heat that metal up a certain way and let it cool down very slowly so it's a little soft. So as the horse would hit a rock or something hard, the shoe would dent and not rip the hoof off the horse. There's all kinds of things you can do with metal. 
Yet, if he were shaping the blade of a sword, we wouldn't want that soft. Because when it comes into contact with the enemy, we would want the enemy to be injured by the weapon. And so, uh, it's, it has to be hard to cut through the armor and the protective measures and in the days of the uh, of the sword and the spear, those were uh, the the blacksmith was the master of the battlefield. You had a good one, you won. You had a cheap blacksmith or someone who was inexperienced. When you went up against the enemy, your weapons failed and you lost the battle. God doesn't want us to lose against the devil. There is absolutely no reason for the Christian to lose against the devil. Can we say amen to that? How are we going to make that work? We've got to trust God. That's what counted all joy means. I can trust God that he's still working. Amen? that He is working in my life. And I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what God does. And, and, and I'll tell you, there's been some times in my life where I start feeling and, and questioning and saying, Lord, is this really what it's supposed to be? Well, if you lack wisdom, God will give it to you. But you know what I found out about God's wisdom? When I get it, I agree with God. Whether I want to or not. You see, the double-minded man is the one who's trying to make God agree with him. And that's never going to work. It is the basis, it is the cornerstone of all instability. You cannot commit yourself to God and give God instruction on how he's going to do things. That's what James is writing. And let me tell you, these early believers faced some terrible trials. It would not be 30 years from the time that Jesus walked the face of this earth until every Jewish believer in Jesus Christ was cast out of Jewish society. They were no longer considered Jewish by the people who were Jews. They lost friends. They lost family. They lost many things. Would that not be difficult to you? It was to them. And James was saying, listen, you need to understand, Jesus is more important than acceptance by your friends and your family and all of these things. You're going to lose everything to serve Jesus. But let me ask you, If you are far enough along in your Christian life that you've actually lost something or gave something up to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't feel bad about that. You actually feel good about it. You you might even count it all joy. Strangely biblical reference there. Amen? You know why? Because you've got enough wisdom to look back on your life and see that that thing that you thought was so important really isn't important at all. That accomplishment, that, that attainment that you had. 
You see, as we go through the book of James, we're going to find that if our faith in God is working, it's going to solve that double-minded problem. It's going to give me a single mind. Paul put it this way, for, me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Could we ask God to give us that single mind? Sermon on the Mount, we don't have time tonight. Jesus called it a single eye. An eye that gave light to the body on the inside. An eye that sees things the way God sees things. Good working definition of wisdom. And a great solution for a double mind. When I ask in faith, nothing nothing wavering, it's simply saying, God, you're right. Make me agree with you. And all God's people said, let's pray.